Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No Eye in Podcast, a podcast about teams, about being in teams, about running teams, about getting the most out of your team. Uh, my name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined in person today by a sports coach and co-host partner in pod, Sean Gala. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. <laughs> We're in the same room. We are in the same room. It is a miracle. I have measured the microphones. We are at least a meter apart. Uh, so we are socially distanced, but we uh, it feels great just to be able to record in the same place as each other. So good. So good. Although... A little bit strange to actually be talking to you on <laughs> yeah. the podcast, recording face to face. Yeah, I, I may need to kind of get a get a picture frame and hold it around you so, <laughs> so that it looks like you're on my screen. Because uh, genuinely, we have spoken to each other a couple of times a week via Zoom, at least for the last 20 episodes. Yeah. Uh, with a gap in the middle. and And yeah, it really does feel different to be back in the same room. It's really strange. I think seeing you when I walked in the door didn't feel like it'd been so long because I've seen your face for 20, 20 weeks. Um, but now when we're pressing play and we're recording and we're doing the podcast next to each other. Yeah, we've never done this we've before. Never we've done never this. done it like this. It's really strange. Um, but Mark, but, but uh, audience, um, Mark's setup is quite extraordinary. Um, it is something to behold. And I am very privileged to be in his man cave slash podcast station setup. Well, uh, we will take a picture of it and stick it on the Insta uh, and on the Twitter. So if you uh, uh, if you follow us at uh, Know I Podcast on either of those, have a look, see what this whole thing looks like. Really loved the episode last week. James was yeah inspirational and just it felt like great vibes. He's doing a great job. Um, you know, I think both of us had kind of similar experiences maybe early on in our careers like he had in 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 terms of the community aspect of it and the youth work aspect uh and being in the pros um and you really do see a different side of 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 young people when you are working at that level and so that really held true to me um and just to see what he's now doing in schools and working with senior leaders to really make a difference i think is awesome yeah super exciting and hopefully we will get a chance to like we said uh sit down with him in person and uh catch up with him at some point about about how it's going um we have uh, a, a journey into the future on this week's episode we do indeed uh, very exciting guest uh her name is emily gordon smith and she is a uh, a trend predictor yeah particularly her field is fashion so she's she she looks at what's going to be cool uh, or it's going to be popular in the years to come. And we wanted to talk to her about the fashion industry. We wanted to talk to her about how uh, this understanding of uh, data that she works with uh, helps her teams run. Uh, so jumping straight into that, it was, a, it was a yeah fascinating chat, a little bit like nothing we've spoken about before, which we always enjoy. So uh, here's Emily Gordon-Smith. So we are hugely privileged to welcome on to the podcast today, uh, Emily Gordon-Smith. Emily is 
the director of consumer products at a company called Stylus. Stylus are uh, a trend forecasting company that work with some of the biggest brands in the world. Hello, Emily. Hello, everyone. Hey, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I gave the shortest possible intro I could manage. Perhaps you'd like to fill us in a little bit more about what you do and how you got to where you are. Sure. So, yeah, I work for Stylus. We are a trend forecasting and advisory company. And that effectively means that we, as you, as you rightly said, Mark, work with lots of global brands and retailers and manufacturers even. And we work with them to sort of look at what's going to be happening in the next couple of years and really help them navigate the sort of consumer landscape, you know, what's happening in terms of attitudes, what's happening in terms of consumer engagement, and then, of course, product. So I head up the product side of things, which means that I look after um, everything from my my background is fashion, but I look after fashion, Mm. beauty, home, um, architecture, interiors. Uh, It's quite a broad remit. But uh, what, what you'll often find with trends is that because they are so consumer centric is that these trends are really, um, they, they do pivot around these sort of consumer attitudes yeah. and, and those shifts. And therefore, it doesn't matter if you're looking at fashion or beauty or home, it's all coming from the same, uh, the same base. So we're quite fortunate in Stylus in that we are cross industry. Like I say, I look after all different kinds of clients um, and my, um, the amazing team that we have um, are specialists in areas like product design or beauty, myself, fashion. Uh, and yeah, uh, uh, that's effectively what we do. We also um, then will consult to some of these clients on a very bespoke basis. So part of our work is to let our clients know what, you know, what are the kind of macro trends that are shifting mm. the landscape how that will then impact in different uh, industries and categories. But then we also have another arm to the business, which is called advisory, which is where we'll work very specifically with one client to answer one question, uh, mm. which is a whole different ball game as well, which is a, a, yeah, and it a really interesting side of what we do. That is so interesting. Uh, I've just, like, just from that description, um, the relationship that, you have to have with the brands, but also have to have with the consumers, which feels like it's a separate relationship and one that you kind of need to put. Uh, when I worked in a law firm, there was a side of a Chinese wall where I'm working with two people, but I have to treat them completely separate from one another. The idea that you're telling the brands what to be looking at, but also working with the consumers and, and, there's a there's a there's a possibility of you kind of influencing both yeah i mean i guess you know we are drawing on what is happening in the consumer landscape where a brand you know say as an example you're a designer for a brand Mm. you don't have time to be absorbing what is happening in the consumer landscape and what's happening in terms of attitudinal shifts so that's why they will rely on a service like ours where we can pull all of that it might be data-driven, it might be more quantitative analysis, um, but that's effectively, yeah, what, what we do. And, and yeah, if you're a designer for a brand or you're a buyer or a merchandiser or something, you don't have time to do that. Yeah. You're, you know, your, your full-time day job uh, does not allow for that kind of research. Uh, and ever more, these kind of, uh, I, I would say, consumer lifestyle and consumer attitude shifts 
are driving what what trends actually amount to you know it's really it is shifting greatly in terms of that being the focus rather than it being kind of product focused which maybe you know 20 years ago it was slightly more um driven by the designer and the brand and now it's very much uh i would say yeah consumer-led and that's something i i got the sense you experienced you said you came through that fashion industry as part of the journey so you've seen it from that other side as well yeah absolutely i mean i'm I'm now 50, (laughs) so I've been working in the industry industry for a long time. My background is fashion. I came up through quite a traditional route of education, which was I did an art foundation course, and then I went to Central St. Martins and studied fashion. Yeah. Um, Then I I worked for a fashion forecasting company. So that was my Mm. first job. But then I decided I wanted to get into magazines. I thought that sounded far more glamorous and exciting. (laughs) And it was terribly glamorous and exciting, you know, going on lots of shoots and with Mario Testino and amazing models and photographers. Nice. Um, But I, I actually kind of decided after that that what I really liked was the more kind of granular commercial aspect of fashion. So then the rest of my career has really been based in working directly for a retailer or a brand. I've worked for Walt Disney, I've worked for Arcadia Group, um, various other companies. And then um, more recently, in the past 10 years, I've gone back into consulting and and forecasting. So I've kind of done a 360, um, which is slightly unusual, but I guess it's because I love that I love that kind of commercial piece in what we do. So for me, the kind of, you know, editorial and magazines, is it doesn't have that kind of commercial focus that that I love, but it, it's it's quite unusual sh- to shift from one to the other. Um, although I think that the way things are moving, uh, more people are going to be doing that, are kind of pivoting from one side of an industry to another. Fair enough. I um I think it's probably the canniest the canniest uh, testam- testament to your fortune telling skills that you left magazines when magazines decided to die you were you were before the curve <laughs> yeah terribly sad that you know that is happening but yeah i mean editorial it is not a great place to be at the moment uh and you know working for brands and retailers i think it's interesting a lot of people do think going into the fashion industry it is all terribly glamorous but if you work for a brand yeah. or a retailer you know anyone who's listening uh who is thinking of you know, moving into that area, it does involve a huge amount of commercial acumen and everything is numbers driven. It doesn't matter if you're a junior designer yeah. or work in the training department. It's, uh, you have to put a commercial hat on all the time. You have to really understand numbers and there is huge pressure. Um, so it's, it's a very specific kind of thing and it, it doesn't hold the, it certainly isn't as glamorous as I think some people might think it, it you know, it, it might be being yeah. a buyer or a designer for a, a big high street retailer or a brand. Yeah. I think, I think before the, before the podcast, Emily, we were talking just about, you know, advice that you would give or, you know, or even uh, seeing what comes in the door to you from a recruitment point of view which is, you know, I guess part of your role uh, along with along with some other senior members of your team to see who comes through that door. 
um, and if they're going to fit stylus and if they're going to be right for you guys. Um, what are the kind of things that you are looking for within that team um, being in your industry? Because like you said, I think people are coming in sometimes with a different idea a romantic of fashion. Or yeah, a... exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I have to tell you a funny story. I did have one girl come to an interview once. She literally walked in wearing a fur coat. And <laughs> her first question was, um, would she get to go to all the fashion weeks and the parties? And how much other travel might she get to do? And it's nice. really not like that. Um, you know, it, I guess to answer your question, it's what, we're, what we might be looking for in our industry, which is a very small industry, I have to tell you, fashion forecasting or trend forecasting yeah. and prediction um, and consultancy is quite a, a small industry. But what we're looking for is that, that mix of <clears throat> uh, someone who has... Uh, 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 an energy to be analytical and is happy to do things like collect stats, collect data and really build up a very true picture of what's happening. Um, and, and so it's, it's quite kind of, you know, analytical and strategic on, 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 on that yeah. level. But on the flip side, you also want them to be very creative and to be able to think two years ahead and think, you know, what does the landscape look like in two years' time? And within that, you have to be very visually minded. So it's from a very layman's point of view, because I don't know how many fashion fashionistas we have listening to the podcast, Emily. So, and, and myself as a, as a complete layman. Are you talking about this in a sense that, let's say someone says in two years' time, this cut of denim or, you know, this this bomber jacket or something like that, is going to be what everyone is into but that person also needs to know what market to hit how much the fabric costs uh how much it's going to be to ship kind of you know from one country to another is it having that mindset or no, that, so would, that, that would be more granular granular than what we do so we okay. would be looking more at um say attitudinal shifts that are going to impact in two years time. So at the moment, just to give you a bit of insight, we're looking at things like, you know, obviously this year is kind of unprecedented in terms yeah. of <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll probably get onto that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I guess some of the big things that we always look at are sustainability, ethics, mm -hmm. inclusivity. These are things mm. that we are constantly monitoring and which will impact on future trends and they are what I would describe as macro trends yeah. we'll also be looking at things like well-being and wellness um, luxury is always a big focus you know even for mass market they want to know what's happening at luxury level and then we'll we'll drill down beyond that into things that are happening kind of socio-politically or culturally and those will kind of underpin what those macro uh, trends that are, uh, you know, a, 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 a really kind of long-term trends, what they start to look like. Um, and, th and then beyond that, once you get into the kind of granular thing you're talking about, Sean, that, that would be more what I would describe as a bespoke project where we could work with a client and say, okay, well, do you know what this means? It means that denim is going to look like this and these right. trends um, but that would that would be becoming quite bespoke so yeah it's a, it's about these kind of big macro trends that are ongoing and the direction they're taking and of course this year 
they've uh, we've been throwing some quite big swerve balls. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that I mean that in itself is fascinating. Indeed. How how has it been in terms of collaboration? Because I know we spoke um before the podcast, Emily, just about collaboration being a huge part of, of the fashion industry and what you guys do. Uh and you know, both me and Mark, you know, we we have to experience collaboration a lot with our teams. Um and Mark when he has performances and 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 you know, directing directing groups of people to put on a performance, me with sports teams. I know you're a Liverpool fan, Emily. Um, so I'll just put in a congratulations there. So Thank congrats. You, you know, I'm that's sorry such, about Chelsea so, um, this weekend. Sean. I know, I know. I'm <laughs> such a good person for, for putting that into my, my own podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, so collaboration is key. And obviously, you guys, I think, have been at home a lot of the time and working from home. So can you take take us through what that's looked like over this lockdown period? Yeah, so I think, I, I mean, you know, this isn't, specific to the fashion industry or creative industries. I think it's relevant to everybody, but of course we've all had to change the way we work in a massive way. But I do think that the whole thing around collaboration and that being the missing piece is hugely impactful when it comes to the more creative side of industry. Um, You know, being able to sit around a table and to share imagery and to you know have the kind of meetings that we would normally be having is a huge miss um but that i i don't believe that's going to change for quite some time talking yeah. to some of our clients and you know friends who work for brands and retailers um this is the new normal and some of them are predicting that they won't you know won't ever be going back to a normal workspace and when you are working collaboratively because you are working creatively um yeah you have to find workarounds so we've been doing obviously you know like everyone we've been doing lots of t- stuff on zoom and teams uh we some of my team have had whole day sessions or whole week sessions where they're sharing visuals and um screen sharing and that's quite bizarre because normally we'd be sticking things on pin boards and on the yeah. wall yeah. and you know, the brainstorm doesn't exist anymore exactly, in the way that, that we're used to. It's a lovely kind of brainstorm thing, which is, you know, when yeah. you get the cakes in and you, you know, <laughs> who's taking the next turn to make the cup of tea and all that lovely stuff. Yeah. It, it sort of, it takes something away. But I think we have all got used to it and adapted. And we have just public, you know, produced our latest colour and materials forecast for spring summer 22 um and you know with no or remotely to the content it's just as good as as it would have been beforehand so we've just had to find these workarounds i do think though that um you know if we sort of i i don't think there is a post you and i sean talked about a post-pandemic landscape but the more i hear on the news this week i worry that you know, yeah. we're further away from a post-pandemic landscape. It's really hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, it's really hard to have have a gauge. Yeah, can we can we even call it that? But um, I think that there's going to be a, a couple of huge takeaways. One is that collaboration is going to be ev- ever more important because mm-hmm. we are so distanced and a lot of us are working from home. So that whole collaborative piece, which, you know, we can talk more into because I think collaboration is hugely important. Yeah. Um, 
but I also think I think that's one big takeaway is that that's going to become ever more important and the other one is that also coming out of 2020 of course the whole um you know response to the systemic kind of racism that has existed in workplaces and and within education as well has to be addressed and I think this is the other big takeaway that uh we are actually finally seeing action and yeah companies seriously dealing with that with that issue and if I can ask a slightly abstract follow-up question how is it for you guys who are both dealing with how you work in this environment as an organization, but also considering both of those things as these big macro shifts. I can imagine it's quite complex to both be experiencing it right now uh, and it having such a major impact on how you work and every, every element of how you work feeling a little bit new and at the same time, trying to think about it on that macro scale and pass it in a way that you can consider in the in terms of your day to day work. So you, you're having to sure. fix your own office from a COVID and uh, inclusivity. Uh, inclusivity and diversity point of view, yeah. but also make statements and consider it in terms of the wider world does there does that make it more complicated or does that make it more straightforward well i mean it, it you know the covid thing we pivoted our content because we cover a lot of international events and trade shows and of course all of those were cancelled mm, right there are lots of digital events happening and we're covering those um but it's a very different job covering those you know you're not traveling yeah you're a, you're you're desk bound um so what we what we have done very successfully is we have uh created a whole content stream which is covid specific so it's really providing kind of um good news stories and uh inspiration and insight into yeah how i'm not talking about reporting on depressing news i'm talking about Brands and retailers and manufacturers doing something that's really, you know, positive. And that's been super successful. And I think particularly because we decided to pivot not just to be a newsfeed on this, but to be only talking about positive things that you should be doing and looking at and be inspired by. Yeah. Um, And then when it comes to the whole inclusivity and diversity agenda, uh, you know, I... I think every company can always do better. So of course we can do better and have been working hard to do that. But inclusivity has been a a, a macro topic that we have, uh, you know, been reporting on and uh, offering insight on for many years now to our clients. So it was up there in our six key macros that you need to think about. Yeah. And um, what this has done has made us further look at you know our our own uh internal organization because like i say no company is perfect and everyone should be doing better definitely and also to be uh really ramping up that kind of content because right now there's huge demand for that because people want to learn they want to be educated and to know more if they're sensible brands they want to you know make themselves better um and so, yes, our content has has had to pivot, uh, and and you know for good reason. 
Yeah, and I think the, the the way that you frame it there of of offering organizations and brands the material that they need to respond positively to both of those things, rather than operating out of you know fear for survival or fear for for reproach, that that is that becomes hugely important. In we had a long conversation on our last podcast about the reframing aspect of resilience. In terms of being a resilient yeah. brand, being able to look at what's happening right now and y- your function as providing those positive lenses means that brands, I guess, yeah. can can work within their values yeah. and change positively. Exactly. I mean, it has to be part of your value system. But do you know what scares me, Mark, is that I got some very scary data recently because I because I was looking at edu- the education system in this country yes. specifically. And I don't know how many listeners you have abroad, but this is specific to the UK. And this was all about our education system in terms of graduates leaving with degrees in the UK and the demographics within that. And basically it showed that and I was looking at this from a, a fashion and product design perspective. But if basically uh, the numbers are that 90% of those graduates are white, and then there is a, a, a above 90%, and then there is less than 10% who are black, Asian, or other um, ethnic minorities in this country. Um, for the creative industries, the stats were even more shocking. So they were, there were even less of those demographics in the mix. Now, the trouble with that is that once you're, you know, you're in the workplace and you're recruiting and, you know, in, in our roles as business managers and building teams. Yeah. The problem there is that you only ha- only less than 10% of the people, you know, if you're saying yeah. you've got to have a degree, less than 10% of your applicants are going to be of different ethnicities. So there's a real problem here. Yeah. And that's something I think um, needs to be addressed through how we do recruit and the kind of roles that we're creating. And uh, yeah, to, to, well, I mean, A, that needs to be fixed within education. Yeah, exactly. And and prior and prior to that, or outside of that as well, because Sean and I, when we're not working in a college, both also work in organisations or within groups that try and encourage uh, uh, inclusion in these kind of uh, sports and arts activities yeah. that that m- present the opportunity of arts as a career or sport as a career. Yeah. Uh, that that themselves because. Honestly, by the time we get to degree level, if it's if it's not evened out by then, it's too late. It needs, you know, it needs exactly. to happen at primary level. It really does. And a lot of that is the opportunity building and the opportunity offering for in in my opinion. Yeah. And how how we do that is a mystery. Well, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's something that we probably can't impact on, but I do believe that we can impact on the whole um issue of you know when someone comes to working age how do we encourage a more diverse approach to how we look for candidates mm. and you know maybe it's not about having to have a degree yeah. from uh, I, and i'm not being funny but most of the kids that 
we interview now have got an MA as well. Yeah, yeah. To be able to afford yeah, to have an expensive a, a BA course and an MA course. And that means that you're, you know, potentially that's saying that you were quite privileged or that you're in huge amounts of debt and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you take a massive punt on that. Um, I don't know. I just think that the, the, the system is not allowing for us to uh, to recruit in a truly inclusive way when you look at those statistics. And that is something that maybe, uh, you know, within your company values and and how you operate, you have to kind of address because it's happening within the industry. I think, Sean, you and I talked about this a bit. I think some of the most exciting thing that's happening in fashion is that I'm now seeing kind of sort of streets, streetwear kids, you know, kids who are like just really into like skateboarding and streetwear and stuff. Definitely, have, definitely. Have become like, major influencers and set up their own little brands yeah. and have now become actually very successful and are then able to even collaborate with a big multinational or a big brand. 100%. I mean, if you take, um, if you take someone like uh, Virgil Abloh, who has managed to start his own company with Off-White and then based off of that is now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, creative director at, at uh, Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton, yeah. And he has been able to 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 mix the streetwear and the off-white kind of feel into this very very traditional luxury brand and the kids are lapping it up and i think it was such a it was such a coup because really and truly tell me if i'm wrong emily i know that uh you know uh lv has has, has been around for, for for huge amounts of years and the house is is extraordinary wealth but it did feel to, to even to me as a consumer that it had dropped down into just the very elite kind of people still buying the product. It wasn't something that everyone was looking to buy. It's not something everyone was wearing. And since Virgil has come in, you now can't go anywhere without seeing, you know, his, his off-white collaborations with, with LV. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely right. They, uh, it, it, they have done a great thing, which is to address the true luxury new luxury consumer which is a much more diverse community than the old stable of brands might suggest um then you've got something like uh you know rihanna and the fenty brands that they you know it's the that's the first namesake brand they've ever set up for somebody who doesn't have a design background now virgil abloh you know he's a um he does have a a formal academic training and that he was a was he a structural engineer i'm not too sure but he, i'm sure he went to school I, yeah I, he, I def- he, he school. definitely did a degree i think it was in structural engineering he, design he, he definitely design. wasn't in fashion design right okay <laughs> but then you know you've got rihanna and they have they have given her a name it set up a namesake brand um with her and that's truly a first and again she has no formal training um so this is all really exciting stuff. And then you've got kids like Blondie McCoy with his little brand. And uh... Yeah, you put me onto him, Emily, and then I checked him out on social. And uh, yeah, he's doing some really good things and he's got his, he's got his brand out, doesn't he? I, I just wanted to, this, was, um, this is a paper from uh, Heist, Heist Nobiety that just done a quick piece 
uh, on social media's role in style discovery. So they done this survey and it said that uh, I use social media to discover new brands and collaborations. So overall luxury consumers was 70% and then cultural pioneers was 92%. So 92% now of that study, which wasn't a huge study, um, but it was, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, the publication is, is one that we, we all sort of know, but 92% are now looking at social influencers. And I think that goes back to the diversity point, like you were saying, Emily, because the more diverse social influencers we have across, you know, um, Instagram and, and things like that, that's where we're going to pick up these different creatives. And we're going to find people from ethnic minority backgrounds and things like that, because it's what's happening on the street level. It's what we're seeing day to day. Um, and I think that's really interesting and a really positive step. Yeah. So all of this stuff is things that brands and retailers need to think about because whole, uh, again, it comes back to consumer mind shift. This is, if you're looking at Gen Z as a target audience, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the influencers and the, uh, the potent, the, the potent, you know, the, the reason why you might buy all of that has changed. Yeah. And so, you know, if you are a brand sort of looking to engage with Gen Z in particular, um, this is hugely important. So the influences are not your traditional influences. They are um, incredibly diverse. They're incredibly nuanced and, and, and really quite detailed. So we do quite a lot of reporting around this. Um, we do a whole... A huge report which comes out this month which is uh, around sort of youth style collectives yeah. and what they're all interested in in terms of their lifescape their engagement um preferences the brands they like uh the influences that they follow and but you know you could carry on and on and on and it gets ever more nuanced exactly yeah but but that is the kind of information that you know if you're interested in getting into the fashion arena, this is the stuff that people are really interested in. And that's my question. Sorry, Emily, and what you're providing to a brand, are they interested in you saying, you just need to watch this person and pick up on everything that they're doing? Or are you saying, watch this person, they're doing it like this. These are the reasons why, and that's the trend. Or is it, or is it the, this person is the trend and just, buy into whatever they're selling no we we always try to link up the dots mark yeah. so um joining the dots is really important so for us it always starts with the consumer attitude the engagement and then the product you yeah. can create from that yeah. so it's always starts with the consumer and like i say increasingly so that's the focus it's not about designers deciding what the trend is it's more and more about consumer lifestyles yeah. and end needs mm. and so we always start with that and then it's about how do you engage uh with those consumers and then what does the product yeah. look like or vice versa. it reminds me of a conversation we had on the podcast where uh, a sports coach had uh, effectively banned the word values from his process okay and reframed it as behaviors because behaviors are the true representation of what's important to you and can you identify the values from what you do so looking at a consumer and saying what are they what are they choosing yeah is 
an applied way potentially of saying what do they care about so uh, um, you know you can have a set of values can't you but unless you turn them into behaviors they don't really mean anything exactly exactly do you think emily this is the first real time now sort of 2020 with everything that's going on and with diversity and and inclusivity being really brought to the fore is it the first time really do you think in your experience of the fashion industry that brands are truly thinking about this truly thinking about that people care about what they put out and they care about where it comes from and they care about what it means yeah, I mean, honestly, Sean, I've never seen such a focus on this. And although, you know, like I say, we talk about this at Stylus all the time. It's one of our um, key platforms mm. in terms of content. Uh, this year is really super key. And you know what? Everyone thinks that the fashion industry is a quite diverse and inclusive space, but it's it's not what you think it might be. And it's uh, it's so much more could be done it could be so much better and especially when you look at things like the manufacturing landscape yeah i mean there are hideous things that go on so the fashion industry really isn't the um the diverse place that you think it might be and so much more needs to be done and uh yeah i'm hopefully you know with this emphasis this year we will see proper change because uh, it's it's been very long overdue. No, I I want to just shift gears a little bit, Emily, because that is uh, all very important, heavy stuff. Um, but um, just in terms of being a leader within a team or or being someone senior within a team and the responsibilities that come with it, I just wanted to tie in kind of personality and fashion to that senior role that you may be in and talk about kind of bringing your full self to the team every single day. And part of that can be, you know, how you dress. And, you know, I just wanted to look into that a little bit. And if there is anything that you've noticed and seen and experienced about people who do, you know, we used to say power dressing, you know, sometimes, <laughs> um, but whether it be suits or, or dresses for, for, for women, but do you think there's anything in, in that fashion kind of, gives off your personality and that can be a really strong part of your leadership um so i mean thank god we've seen the end of power dressing (laughs) Uh, that's all good (laughs) particularly now we're on lockdown and just wearing pajamas yeah yeah Uh, but no apart uh, i think the more important piece there sean is uh what you how you live your job and i think any advice I could give to somebody who works in, who wants to work in fashion is that you do slightly have to live your job. Yeah. So it's not so much about the way you look because I wouldn't discriminate about the way somebody, uh, somebody appeared, but I would want to see that somebody does in their, in their social life in their, in their own time is actually really engaged with cultural stuff, mm. with stuff that's going on around them. Right. And if you don't have that, then you probably aren't cut out for the industry because the best people in the industry are the ones who literally, you know, live, everything they look at can deliver some inspiration. So yeah. you're always out with your camera. 
you're constantly kind of craving magazines and uh, exhibitions and it's just it's just the way that's just the way it is and if you don't have that craving you're probably not really cut out for it and I, I would say that's even more important than kind of how you look on the kind of face of it it's mm. that passion it's it, it's a passion industry um, and you you know in, in any aspect of the industry you will probably have to work untold hours uh, from time to time in various companies you might work for you you know it, it can feel quite relentless it's not a nine-to-five so within that I just think it's that passion piece like if you don't have the passion yeah. then it's probably not for you it has to feel important doesn't it yeah I think that goes back to the recruitment section at the beginning Emily a bit you know when, when I said what does that person look like who, who walks in the room what do they bring to the table and, and are they going to be built for for the industry and like you've just said there that passion piece is 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 going to be huge because as you said it is can be a vocational kind of career where you need to embody it you need to embody the industry like you said you need to be really keen on it um i think i think some lecturers uh, and this is across all careers but i think some lecturers who have worked in the industry and then teach at universities can sometimes be really good people to have on board because they tell you what it's like in real life and sometimes you have lecturers that are very you know scholarly and you know maybe haven't worked in the industry but have done all of the kind of academia around it and maybe don't always let you know what it's going to be like on the front line of of that industry so to speak so no, I, think I think it's that balance of um letting you know someone new coming into the industry let them know that it's not all kind of rose tinted and it's not all glamorous exactly it, it is you know you have to have a very commercial head but at the same time you've got to be super creative and really passionate and you can't lose one for the other you have to still you know if you if you're not interested in what's happening around us kind of culturally then you're not really interested in kind of what's happening in you know what what is going to influence the industry and I think that goes back to why we're so impressed with people on social media and stuff that are putting together their own brands, because I, I assume they have to be both in that element. They, they have to have both. They won't have a big team around them. A lot of this stuff from the numbers side and the data side and then from the creative side, they're going to have to pull together themselves, at least at the very beginning when they're starting out. And Sean, I think we're going to see more of that coming out of lockdown. I, there are so many cool creatives I'm seeing emerging out of lockdown. I mean, everyone's become a little bit more creative anyway, and a bit yeah. more kind of analog in their pursuits. Definitely. Really well, nice I've got a po we've got a podcast. We didn't have one before lockdown, so you know, there you go. So that's our that's I've our been, creativity. I've been no, I haven't really been. <laughs> um, Emily, with these this this birth or development of these uh, self-made online social uh, influencers and creators. Um, it, do you find you have to look at different numbers? When you're talking about data and analytics, I think that I certainly, when I worked with YouTubers a few years ago, the, I was having to explain to people what the numbers meant in order for them to understand that something important was happening here. Do you think that there's a there's an interpretation of the data that these creators know better than we do anyway because they're because they're because they are ceo chief creative officer 
marketing intern and you know for their tiny brands yeah um yeah that's an interesting question we we do a series of reports actually at stylist called Mm. instagangs Mm. which is where we all like cluster together and bunches of brands in a, a kind of niche um and they might only have kind of you know x thousand followers yeah. but we believe that actually if you put them all together they're telling right. a story yeah. and that they are having an influence so they might in their own um they might separately not appear particularly kind of relevant or influential mm. or impactful but if you cluster them together and tell a story you can see that actually there's something there like it might be something highly nuanced in terms of what that influence is but you can be sure that when you put them together actually it's quite powerful and that it's something that you know bigger brands and retailers should be looking out for particularly when it comes to collaboration you know sometimes these brands are perfect these small smaller brands and influencers are perfect for a big brand to you know pick up on and work with so that they can actually engage with a new community. Yeah. You start dealing with like a, a thousand zealots and the combination yeah. of a huge brand and a thousand people who care like crazy uh, starts, to, yeah. starts to create a swell. Yeah. Exactly. I think you're seeing the same in the music industry as well, where a lot more people are deciding to stay independent and just work off of, you know, the smaller amount of fan base they have, but that fan base is around four albums later opposed to you know having a big hit with a record label and then getting released after a year or not you know having a 360 deal and then being rinsed for all of your money (laughs) never being heard of again also sean if you think about it like you know as i don't know if we're coming out of lockdown or not we we are out of lockdown but we might be going back in (laughs) but um wherever we are in this in this hideous thing um I do think that one thing that is going to come out of this is that we will see more of that kind of independent creativity and that kind of need for collaboration that's very creatively thought out. And often, yeah, with quite kind of analog sort of thinking, which is ultimately quite, you know, feels quite creative and... So maybe that's one of the few good things that might come out of this. Definitely. It's kind of, it's pushing people towards things, isn't it? I think a bit more, if they had it on their mind and they never got around to it, this has maybe been the opportunity to, to do so. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, Emily, just bringing it back to time teams a little bit more, because we've sort of spoke about the industry quite a bit in a, in a, in a broad way, I think. Um, but when we talk about collaboration being super important and you spoke about not being able to you know, have those cakes come in and who's doing the teas and we're putting up the, you know, post-its on boards and we have presentations, you know, what does, what does collaboration look like for you and, and, and strong collaboration and, and how are those people working together uh, in that kind of cog to, to then output really good, um, really good product? So I think, I think the, the first thing is to look at what your kind of source material might be. And at the moment, because we're all slightly kind of culturally deprived, mm. I would say, yeah. you know, we're not going to galleries, we're not going to cinemas, we're not engaging in these things. We're having to relook at our resources. So for me, it's been, um, I've really gone crazy on Instagram and looking at like, I've probably doubled the amount of accounts that I follow. 
um, wow. just because, it, again, that's kind of collaborative and it's thinking, yes. isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know, if you've got another thousand accounts to look at, then there's a thousand possibilities for inspiration. Yeah. Um, then I think things like, you know, if you're looking for cultural inspiration, which I always am, um, a lot of the art galleries have become super creative in trying to deliver content to us um, as viewers. And, uh, you know, it's worth like checking out all of the major and, and small art galleries to see what's going on there. I've been reading a lot more, um, probably read more books than I normally read. So I think, I think we're all just sort of redefining. And also now we can get out more. You know, yeah. you can sort of go and explore. I've been taking a lot of photography outside mm. okay. in the street. I've been looking up much more at things that I would never look at, like, you know, yeah. the architecture and all of this kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, we're all having to re slightly re-look at what inspires us and, you know, that we can be passionate about and, um, yeah, particularly, particularly kind of visually how about inside though emily how about how about sorry pre pre-lockdown how about what does that room look like in terms of collaboration when you know before any covid and lockdown in terms oh. of how how you guys would all work together oh and... my goodness so you know we would uh, before lockdown we would have the most amazing uh, uh, incredible sessions like two-day sessions where we would all bring our collective thinking around a particular topic or season um, in visual presentations all together in the same room. And then we would all write down what we thought was inspiring on post-it notes and stick it on the wall. And then we would re-edit everything that we put on the wall into themes and trends to see where the similar thinking was. And so that in lockdown is just not achievable. Um, 100%, yeah. yeah I think we had to rethink how we achieve that very successful process, uh, which is the kind of, it's the kickoff to all of our new thinking whenever we have one of those meetings. Right. So it effectively, it's like the foundation. It's the foundation, the foundation of, of this. And so I guess if they don't, if, if they're not effective, I mean, you've just spoke there and spoke really highly of them. And I can even see, you know, audience won't be able to but you looked really energized when you were talking about those collaborations that you clearly enjoy that process yeah, but I guess they have to be super effective and, and I guess a lot of trust needs to be in that room where everyone is allowed to put their hand up and everyone is allowed to have their creative thought because I guess in your industry you can't not have that that's it so we will have in that room we will have everyone from the most you know the junior researchers through to directors and everyone has the same say and we all have the same time allocated because that's really crucial. I think, well, Sean, you and I talked a little, a little bit about kind of mentoring and yeah. um, training when we had a chat last week. No, definitely. Yeah. You said you've stayed in contact with a lot of, um, a lot yeah, of former employees thought, and things like actually, that. Actually, when I finish this podcast, I'm going to be talking to one of my old buying assistants. Wow. From nice. Back in the nineties. Who's wow. going for a job in wow. that, so yeah we all stay in touch and likewise there are people that I've worked for who I um I still stay in touch with who I completely admire for how they help me well that kind of gets us on to our question uh that we ask everybody 
Um, Sean and I like to think that coaches make coaches is how we put it. That the people who trained us have not just taught us what we need to uh, need to know, but also taught us how to teach and 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 have made us into the the coaches and directors and team leaders that we are. Um, so of those yeah. people that you were talking about that that either you're still in touch with or you've lost touch with or you wish you could still be in touch with, um, <laughs> is there is there anyone along your journey that that has had that kind of impact on you? Totally. I have like three people who I'm still firmly um, I'm firm friends with uh, who have helped me so massively in developing my skills in you know, nurturing talent mm. and managing my team. And then, um, and I'm still in touch with all of them. Um, they're still really good friends and I love them all. And yeah, we're truly great friends. And then with my own teams that I've managed, yeah. uh, there are so many who I still talk to. And we go out, I was out with one of them on Friday night and I'm doing a session nice. with one in a minute after this podcast about her next uh, job interview. Um, and that, that goes back decades now. But I, And I think that's really important. It's, do you know what? Like, maintain your relationships. Yeah. Maintain really good relationships. Be kind. Be thoughtful. And, uh, yeah, nurture and you've used um, that word a few times i was going to pick up on that Nur nurturing as a quality of leadership is a really I, interesting one i think so i think so i i it's always stood me in good stead i have to say <laughs> is that i feel like the people who have worked for me feel like i nurtured them and then we've carried on having a good relationship you know and that's important it is and it recognizes that and and i think something like covid and everything at the moment puts it into into relief is the workplace or otherwise we're humans dealing with humans and that that's going to be there irrespective of what the job is what the team is and how we respect each other and how we take care of each other is becomes fundamental and i think my one last takeaway around covid and um, everything that's happening this year is that kindness is going to become ever more important. So, the new trend. In the world, new trend. The new trend. <laughs> new word at the moment. Kindness. Oh. Until twenty twenty two, and then and then it would change when we've it. all forgot to be kind. But um, but no, that's brilliant, Emily. And then the last thing we ask is um, if there's anything you would like to, and it doesn't have to be stylist related, although feel free. Uh, if there's anything you'd like to plug or point people towards that they should be looking at for whatever reason, now's the time to to, to offer it. God bless you. Um, yeah, so you can always check out our stylus um, brief posts, uh, which are uh, open uh, open source. So um, a lot of our content is behind the paywall, but you can always check out our stylus brief post to get a taste of what we do. Amazing. Well, I'll put a link towards how you can sign up for those in uh, the show notes. Um, thank you so much, Emily. This has been fascinating. And, and uh, there's a whole bunch of non-team related stuff that I feel like I could uh, completely delve into because I find this, this kind of uh, trend prediction or uh, <laughs> identification, it just, it's like a magic trick to me. I'm so, <laughs> I love it. Um, oh, yeah, thank you. It's been, really, it's been really good fun. I've really enjoyed it. 
Thank you so much, Emily. Really appreciate you coming on. Really fun. Uh, as Mark said, learned a lot about an industry that we don't know much about. So <laughs> thank you very much for that. Um, and and yeah, I really I really like what you said about the nurturing. And it's it's good to know someone so senior and someone who's so experienced within an industry that a lot of people think is very cutthroat, that there's someone there saying how important caring, kindness, nurturing is, um, because it, it, it stands you in good stead, as you said. Super interesting conversation there. What do you reckon? Really good, really good. Like so interesting because I thought we were going to talk about more, say like the logistics of, of the fashion industry. But what Emily is doing is, is like we said um, in the intro, it's really looking into the future and talking to different brands uh, and, and different clients about what fashion is going to look like. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Uh, sort of opened my eyes quite a lot. Mm. Um, and then just to move into the social side of things and the diversity side of things where, you know, the fashion industry can do better. And Emily was very clear on that and that the company that she works with uh, are really trying to make strides in that and have been. And it's one of the things that's sort of top of their agenda. So I thought yeah. that was really cool. I found um, it really interesting for me the way that she was talking about these kind of these things that are impacting us on a day-to-day -day basis kind of forming the foundation for ways that society moves so we're you know we're feeling covid right now individually walking around trying to you know socially distance trying to trying to keep ourselves and our families safe but she has to look at that at the same time as experiencing it she has to look at it in terms of how it's going to change the landscape how it's going to change yeah. the global landscape in in the years to come totally totally yeah really interesting and you know she put me on to a, a couple of kind of social media people and people that have set up kind of their own brands mm. um from a very uh sort of grassroots point of view where you know they've started everything themselves uh like real creatives and it's interesting that I think we're moving into a space where they're going to be the new trendsetters and, and they're going to be the people that the big fashion houses will start to rely on and uh, are going to sort of lean on for, for what's cool, especially yeah. with things like streetwear and, 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 and the social media side of it, as yeah, I said. Feels so, like so much of that and, yeah, is about the community that they've built, this kind of exactly the, the collection of people. And like, like she was saying, not necessarily the largest amount but when you when you kind of see the trends within these pockets that you know because it is easier to talk directly to a small group of people yeah. and really get them on board kind of collecting those up and and seeing how they're changing the world yeah bonkers to consider particularly at the moment but just generally so that that's our, our episode 20 and we kind of had this unwritten rule that every 10 episodes we'd kind of chalk a mark on the wall take a week off have a look back so that kind of is our season two it is indeed no i think it's a uh, really good to to kind of have a have a cut off in each each series um gives us a bit of a break um and to go away to try and get new and exciting guests um and to have a think about how we can continually improve uh, the podcast but it's been awesome as i said i've said this a couple of times but it's been great for my headspace over the last couple of months in lockdown 
to be able to talk to a friend and a colleague and to do something productive with that person. Yeah. Um, Mark's done so much work on the editing side of things um, and I'm super appreciative of that. So thank you, Mark. Thank you for everyone that's been listening in, that's yeah. given us feedback, that supported the podcast. We really do appreciate it. You know, me and Mark aren't necessarily looking to become podcasters we both have full-time day jobs which we will be starting again after a summer holiday this this week so exactly so this is very much a a side thing for both of us but at the same time i think if you're going to do something do it to the best of your ability and i think that's what me and mark have tried to do over this period um and we would like to continue uh we just have to see logistically how that looks once we are back to the daily grind of full-time jobs <laughs> so apologies to everyone who has been daily grinding this whole time yes um but we will be yeah we'll be putting together a list of who we can get on uh we might take advantage of the fact that we're going to be working with some young people to get some perspectives there from some of the some of the the team players or the you know cast members that we work with to get that version of it but all as always anyone you want us to consider anyone you think we should talk to if you think you've got an interesting perspective that the world should know about grab us and and, and we can set it up because we want to keep this on going you can do that by emailing us mark or sean at noipodcast.show or you can follow us on uh, twitter and instagram at noipodcast and uh flag us down in the street if you see us walking around uh, and recognize us from the twitter photo and the instagram photo that we'll put out um but yeah genuinely thank you everyone for listening uh we're gonna take a week off so there won't be a podcast next week but we will come back uh, the week after with something exciting for you i can guarantee it only thing left to say in the room is that it's a goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.